0: Hello and welcome to the Depression Session on Downtown Radio. Today we have with us in the studio Scott Shoemaker. He's a liaison in hospice and the author of two books about his own struggles with mental illness called Taking Steps Toward Mental Wellness, Book One and Two. We'll be right back with Scott, but first I'd like to talk about family. So my mom is going home. She's going back to Michigan and I know I'm going to miss her. And at the same time, I'm a little relieved. <laughs> so it's, one to have, it's wonderful to have my mom visit, but it's also I'm I'm looking forward to having my house back in some ways, and and you know it's just it's a little bit stressful to have your mom and your you know living in your house. I don't know why it's just it's both stressful and wonderful. It's like I get home at the end of the day and she'd be all excited to talk to me, and I'd be all exhausted. <laughs> so it's been it's been really 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 great having her, and I'm gonna miss her a lot. I've been thinking about how many people in my family struggle with different kinds of mental illness. Suicidal depression, anxiety, paranoia, schizophrenia, depression, 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 and borderline personality disorder. So I I just feel, I thought, well, I'd like to look up something official on how depression works in families And I looked up from the Stanford School of Medicine. They say, how common is major depression? At least 10% of the people in the U.S. will experience a major depressive disorder at some point in their lives. Two times as many women as men experience major depression. How do we know that genes play a role in causing depression? Scientists look at patterns of illness in family to estimate their heritability, or roughly what percentage of their cause is due to genes. To do this, we find people with the disease who have a twin, and then find out whether the twin is also ill. Identical twins share 100% of their genes, while non-identical twins share 50% of their genes. If genes are part of the cause, we expect a patient's identical twin to have have a much higher risk of disease than a patient's non-identical twin. That is the cause for major depression. Heritability is probably 40 to 50% and might be higher for severe depression. So this could mean that in most cases of depression, around 50% of the cause is genetic, and around 50% is unrelated to genes, psychological or physical factors. Or it could mean that in some cases, the tendency to become depressed is almost completely genetic. And in other cases, it's not really genetic at all. We don't know the answer yet. We can also look at adoption studies to see whether an adopted person's risk of depression is greater if a biological parent had depression. This also seems to be the case. So as usual with, you know, formal medical information, the answer is probably, we think, studies seem to show, but then again, it could be other things. (laughs) However, it seems very clear that there is a genetic relationship. There is a genetic factor. Doesn't mean that everyone who has depression in their family will be depressed. or And it doesn't mean that if you are depressed, that your family must also have depression in it. Because that's not necessarily true. You could have nobody is ever depressed in our family, and then I'm the one, right? But it's somehow comforting to me that my mom and my brother and I are all depressed. <laughs> because it's that same thing that I'm hoping to do with this show, which is somebody understands somebody's understands what you're going through and what would be helpful. And doesn't mean we all perfectly support each other all the time, but there is a nice supportive feeling of just saying, I'm really having a hard time. I feel like this. I feel sad. I just feel sad and I, I feel hopeless. And having my mom say, Oh honey, I know, I know how you feel. And she really knows how I feel. She's, she's not being empathetic on the basis of I'm um, her daughter and she loves me. But she's being empathetic because she knows she's been that in that place. She's been sad in that way. So it's it's comforting just to have other people in your world who understand what you're going through. And if it's your family, I think you're really lucky. And I feel very lucky to have the family that I have, that they understand me, they get my my weird humor. (laughs) They understand when I'm sad, why I'm sad, that it doesn't have to be something that's happening in my life. It's just a feeling. It's just what I'm going through. So on that note, I hope you all find someone in your family or in your created family out in the world that understands you. And I hope by listening to this show, you feel, yeah, that's my story. I get that. So today we have with us in the studio Scott Shoemaker. He's a liaison in hospice and the author of two books about his own struggles with mental illness, Taking Steps Toward Mental Wellness, book one and two. Hello, Scott. Welcome to the Depression Session.
1: Thanks, Laura. Thanks for having me.
0: You are welcome. And I know we talked a little bit this morning and you're feeling a little nervous. Is, is, that, is that cool with everybody out there? <laughs> yeah.
1: Lifetime sufferer of anxiety. Hey, let's put him on the radio. Yay! That's the best thing for him right
0: now. <laughs> Can you want to talk a little bit about what's new with you what you're what you're working on these days?
1: yeah, you know i, I when I was listening, to you open up there talking about your family, and I was just thinking about my family, and it you know anxiety and depression does run in my family, and it's not something we really talked a lot about. i um, just kind of hint here and there you know about my great uncle who had you know depression, who had to be put into a hospital for a while and it's starting to make a lot more sense as it trickles down into my life and you know what I've been through and but yeah, I mean, I, I understand what you're saying there, so and it kind of just leads me into what I was just thinking about talking about today, and in order to take steps towards mental wellness, I think you have to kind of look back and see where you've been and and where you want to go and I think about the the double life. How many of us lead a double life, you know, the one that you know our friends, our family, our coworkers see on the outside and then the person we know we are on the inside. Yeah. And you know, I can think about my anxiety issue starting when I was a kid, you know, in elementary school I would be so nervous all the time that I would get stomach aches every day, you know, before school or before the bus would come, and it just got to be a routine every day, and and it wasn't a fun routine, that's for <laughs> sure. But it was, wasn't just stomach aches before school, it was stomach aches before going to my baseball games, um, stomach aches before going to the movies, stomach aches going to the dentist or the doctor's office. Just anything, anything out of the house, you know, I just get a stomach ache and get so anxious and nervous about. And I don't think anybody should get nervous or feel anxiety just going to a movie. Do (laughs) you? Yeah. I don't know why that is. I mean, it's still like that today, but I've just learned how to cope a little differently. So then I, you know, went on to middle school and high school and I call those the new nightmare. And uh, in my books, I do. And because the stomach aches continued. And I think that when you're so full of stress and anxiety as a kid, that it affects your education, your relationships, how you plan your future, and then eventually just how you turn out as an adult and and what shapes your life. I think it starts when we were kids. So this went on with me for a long, long time, and then it came to a head about 12 years ago when a friend of mine, he just noticed that, you know, I just was struggling with a lot of different things, a lot of simple things, you know, and I would tell them stories about how I would pace around my house. And, or like, if I wanted to watch a movie, it would take me 15 minutes to pick out a movie because I wasn't just putting a movie in to enjoy a movie. I was, I was putting a movie into escape. And so it had to be the right escape. So I'd literally put my finger on every single movie in my collection and Just think about, well, this movie will make me feel this way. This one will make me feel this way. No, this one will remind me of what I felt like before. And so eventually I just couldn't pick anything out. And then I would just throw something in and go do something else. And so I was just telling my friend about all this stuff I was doing. And and he noticed that I was struggling. And he said, you know, what you're describing is not really normal. And that's the first time someone ever really said that to me out loud. (laughs) And so, you know, he suggested I get some help and not only did he suggest it, but he even told me where to go because I didn't know anything about talking to a a therapist or a counselor, but he told me about this free program at the local school or the college. And so that was kind of my first step towards mental wellness was going to those counseling sessions and kind of getting a piece of that. But it's a... It's a very interesting experience. If if you've done it before, you can relate. But if you haven't, I mean, I'll mean i share just a little bit about it. But they had me take these tests about what I was going through. And so they, the test results came back. Well, you have a generalized anxiety disorder. You have ADD. And you have depression. You know, when someone says that to you, it's kind of depressing. <laughs> so they said, why don't you go to your primary doctor and talk about medication? So I... I went to my primary doctor and I said, yeah, I went to uh, the local school and they diagnosed me with this, this, and this, and he just whipped out his prescription pad and just started writing me scripts, you know? So I left there with scripts for EDD, scripts for anxiety, and scripts for depression. And so I, you know, started taking those. This went on, you know, for a while, but it really wasn't getting better. When I can talk, if we had more time, I could talk about all the different doctors and all the different medications, but I think it just went on and on for several more years because you just think you're kind of in a routine now. And so, but if you're not really willing to accept what you're going through and that it's not going to get better, the medication's only going to get you so far. And that's what happened to me. So I started taking like natural supplements. I started mixing in like Vicodin and muscle relaxers and... And eventually, you know, I was so desperate to not feel anxious or anxiety or depression, and I was also anxious to get sleep finally, that I would just start taking handfuls of pills every night, and then I'd start downing them with NyQuil. That only gets you so far too. And then you start getting a little nutty, because you're really not getting quality sleep. You know, you're kind of forcing yourself to lay down and forcing yourself to relax. And that's just not natural. So it came to a head a, a few years back, and then I was talking to my doctor and he gave me a, a referral for a psychiatrist. So I went there and we talked for a while Then he put me on some different medications and then, you know, he finally got the mix right. So that was nice. You know, I finally got some sleep. Just up till then I'd been taking sleeping pills as well, along with muscle relaxers and Vicodin and antidepressants and anxiety pills. And then, of course, you go through that where, you know, it's not working. So you take more and more and more. And so... But when you finally get the mix right, I think those of you out there can relate, you know, it's nice because you're taking a lot less. But then what well, still came to a head because mental health struggles, they don't go away. There's no cure. So you're still only going to get so far unless you really want to stop and move forward. So it really did come to a head a couple of years ago where I was so out of shape physically and out of shape mentally that. When I went to bed at night, I would literally just fall into bed, and I thought I was going to die. It was that bad. That's when it really scared me. So I was either going to get better, or I was going to die. So I just started taking steps. I said, i got to start eating better. I've got to start exercising. So I couldn't even do one push-up when I started. Then I got to about 75 three times a week. It, it just takes time. And then, you know, I lost 50 pounds. I started riding What I found was I found an outlet with writing in my journal as a way of sharing on paper what I wasn't sharing out loud. And then it just turned into writing stories, you know, I put them into a book for them and I thought I could help people. I think what I want to help most is that don't you don't have to wait like 20 years or more like I did. Start talking to people, share your story with someone close to you, and eventually you're going to find that friend or relative that's going to help you and not judge you. And that's what happened to me, so... So even though it took me a while, it was just all these different steps I started taking. And now I am working on a third book about fitness and nutrition for people with mental health struggles and got my personal training certificate. So I'm working on maybe starting that business up just to people with mental health struggles. We learn differently. We have to exercise differently. Our outlook is different. So I've got some ideas that might help people. I hope they do. But that's kind of where it's at. So I started my website, sharingmentalillness.org. dot org. I've got a uh, there's a book fair today. I'm going to be at. I don't know if I told you about that. So it's going to be at Unity of Tucson Church. It's on River from like eleven to two. If someone wants to come out and say hi, or just go to my website and you can send me a message and I'll respond.
0: Thank you. Thanks so much for You're your welcome. story. And I'm 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 really impressed by how. How much you're open about like what it's that that hole you can go down with medication? You yeah, know?
1: you know, I was I had probably three or four different anxiety pills I tried, and then then I was doubling and tripling them, and it wasn't working. So then I realized, you know, that really wasn't the answer. It was just if you don't realize medication's just a little bit there to help you cope, then you're in for a pitfall there.
0: Yeah, and it's it it kind of brings in. Those connections that I see between people who who try substances, people who try medications, people who who get obsessed with something, you know, that looking for something to to help and, and to make it go away and that it's not going to go away. You're just going to find coping mechanisms. It's not like one day, woo, you know, never again Well, I feel anxious, <laughs> never again Well, I feel depressed. Well, I- and it's like that acceptance. I think that's really what's great about your story.
1: It is. I, you're talking about the addiction thing. It really, when I was riding, it really gave me more of an insight into people, why they do what they do. Because I can remember just in the last few years, you know, I back when I was just kind of at the bottom, I was just wandering the grocery store looking through the alcohol section. I was thinking, well, maybe if I just buy a bottle of this and then down that, that'll actually make me feel better. I see people do it all the time. But, you know, I, I've got a stomach issue, thankfully. So I, I couldn't do that. I couldn't drink alcohol. So... But I wanted to, oh, so many times. And But you're right. It's really just about stopping and admitting to yourself, you know what, I, I do have a problem. There's no cure. So I can either move forward and go backwards. And so I decided to move forward. So I'm hoping that I can help some other people.
0: Yeah, it sounds like the combination of the right medication, not just medication, the right medication and exercise And having something, it sounds like doing something to help other people, like writing your books, having the website, becoming a trainer, that's been a component that sounds really strong to me in your story.
1: It's, it's, it's helped because it's, it's given me steps to take to, it helps me to do these steps and then I'm hoping it helps other people at the same time. You know, if you're out there listening, you're not alone. There's a lot of people that are are struggling and probably in your family that never even told you that they have issues and... And it's okay. It's okay, you know. So part of my mission is to reduce the stigma of mental illness one person at a time.
0: Yeah, me too. <laughs> All right. I think you're doing it. You got a great show here. I was also thinking I I meant to mention this in the first part when I was talking about it, but I feel like it's it, it works now too, which is the family component. When I remember my dad, my dad, my both of my parents are alcoholics. Both of them got into recovery. My mom took a long, long, long time, and my dad did it when he was in his 40s, and she was in her 60s. And just the fact that you can get sober in your 60s, I'm like, yay, that's so promising. It, it's You would hope it would happen young, but if it doesn't, at least you can get there. And my dad, after he'd been sober for several years, he got on this kick of like, he looked in it, we have a family Bible on the Milken side that has names, you know, just names, date, birth, death, and sometimes a little note. And like... A couple times throughout there, the Scottish-Irish side of family is, like, addicted to drink. And then you go down all the so-and-so, addicted to drink. And it's just the side note that they thought to put in there was about that. And my dad, it was comforting to him that it was this, it was, it's that thing of, like, this is in my family. This isn't, this is something that's in my family. I have it, and it's, like, takes a little of the weight off of it to know That it, it, I mean, it sometimes feels depressing to like look through generations of alcoholics and go, Wow, that really went on a long, long, long time. But I've never had a problem with alcohol, and I don't know why. I just feel really lucky with like both sides of the family. And
1: well, like, that's an interesting story. It reminded me of when I was writing these books, I didn't even tell my parents I was writing all these stories. And I didn't even tell them until I, I had it pretty much in my hand. And then I gave it to them to read. And my mom was like two pages into it. And she goes, I am so sorry. I did not know that you had all these problems. And I said, that's actually a perfect response because it answers a question. Is because I didn't share it. I, I We weren't comfortable. There was that stigma. You know, we just don't want to talk about it. And so... And now, my parents are, are different towards me, you know, when they know that i 'm i 'm in a mood <laughs> or i'm i 'm irritable they they don 't react the same way they 're like, "Oh, okay, and they just kind of let it brush it off because they understand that sometimes we just can 't control the mood we 're in as well as we 'd like yeah, and, you know if now that they know what i 've been through or I struggle with every day they they 're okay with it they they 're much more patient, so we can have more conversations now.
0: Yeah. And it's, I find that the hardest step to take for me, it's, I don't know what it is, why it's so hard to say or to let anybody know. You talked about the two faces that we have, you know, in Facebook, there's those people that like, everything's glossy and shiny, that they post like everything. And, and you always think, come on now.
1: <laughs> I, well, I wish we had more time because I've, I've got a whole chapter on like social media depression. I talk about just like that. And I, I don't know if we have time, but when (laughs) you, I noticed that happened to me. I, you know, I have all these Facebook friends and I just noticed that they're always posting all these happy things. Went to my son's baseball or soccer game, doing this, going to an event. And is their life really that great and mine's that bad? Or I can't even get out of the house to go to an event and they're just like so involved. And so I realized that I have to look at social media differently. Right. So now I, I don't go on and read all this stuff. Now I just go on for specific things. I'll go on to look for events I'm interested in, um, just to keep updated. And then I log off. I don't spend time reading through all that stuff that everybody's doing because it doesn't help me. Right. So you just have to know what your trigger points are, yeah, and, or triggers are. And then, um, but social media was one for me. Yeah. I'm glad you brought that up.
0: Yeah. Well, it's 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 an interesting space because so often that when when we're on Facebook, I think it is, people often show the face they want you to see. They say, went to my son's baseball game. They have awesome pictures of their son. They don't say, I couldn't sleep last night. I was so so worried about all the things I need to get done. Or they don't say, you know, I got up and had a drink this morning. (laughs) Or I mean, not saying that everybody is doing that, but that we all have moments of struggle. And nobody wants to put that out in a public space. Because I feel like social media is as if you're putting a book into a public file that's there forever and i know students of mine i know they're posting things that they actually wouldn't want to have in a public library but that's where they're putting it we're putting all this stuff in a public library and so so often what what people put in there is the surface stuff cuz that's shiny and pretty and they're afraid to put in things that are more real Maybe they don't want everyone to know, or maybe it's shame, or maybe it's that idea of like, this will be on record forever. Is this how I really want to leave my mark on the world? (laughs) That's
1: perfect. because I noticed that in the last year or two when I was writing that I just stopped posting things other than things I was doing.
0: Right. like an event
1: or I have a book signing coming up. And that's all I really do. Yeah, I don't really get much into anything else just because yeah. it doesn't help me. Or you doesn't don't work show for people me. what you're having for breakfast. <laughs> yeah. No. <laughs> I can tell you my smoothie. It's a protein smoothie. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and another guest of mine had talked about um, she'd started a private group to just talk about depression. And I think that social media can work really well for those sort of things to have, like having your website where someone could just write you and say, I'm going through this. I, you know, I, I read your last post and I'm going through this and you could relate and you could write them back. There, there are nice ways of. Because we do have those two sides, the two faces you talked about, the face that we show to the world of like, hey, I'm doing great and everything's fantastic and I'm wonderful and you're wonderful and we're all wonderful and we're going around great and nobody ever gets sad, nobody ever gets tired, nobody ever goes sleepless nights, you know, nobody ever uses substances. There's this like that side. And then there's the the side that I am reluctant to tell friends when I'm struggling for so many different reasons. One is you don't want to burden them. And two is why would they care? And of course, you know, they'd care, but it it just feels like a downer, right? To say I'm struggling. And yet when you tell someone like with the show, when I tell people I'm doing a show on depression, they they kind of go, oh, oh, or they'll go, oh, that's so great. I don't know if I could listen. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I'm with you. Yeah. Um, but you're doing a good thing here. It's helping to reduce that stigma so people will start talking about it more. So people won't be afraid to get help, afraid to talk to their friends or family. And I just noticed that my Facebook post changed over the years as I was kind of, as my double life kind of started going away because I started, Mm. I don't really have the double life anymore because who I am now, is it's kind of open to the public. So it really makes me think a lot more about what I say, what I would post or write about. And I think it'd be nice if almost everybody was like that. I think uh, social media would look a lot differently. We're all if, being
0: genuine and honest.
1: Yeah. and Then you'd say who your friends really are. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, we should write that down. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and the other, the other point I wanted to bring up was how anxiety and depression and Like the, 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 so many of those things go hand in hand. And I think most people experience them from childhood on. And, you know, I, I've always had, I, when I read the depression statistics and it was like 10% of the population will have a major depressive episode at some point in their life and I'm like, well, I'm hanging out with the 10%. (laughs) I thought it was everybody. And sometimes I think it is, it's just who gets help or not, who, who shows up on a statistic or not. (laughs)
1: <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I think there's a lot more people that, well, what I've noticed is, you know, when I'm talking to people about the books, I've had so many people just open up and start sharing their stories about themselves or their family members about anxiety or depression or ADD or struggling with bipolar, you know, issues. And I'm just like feeling like I'm just listening, you know, now I'm not even really talking as much as I was. And as uh, people are, are like, well, Scott's going to share it. He put it out there. So uh, now I can share it back, and they feel better. And some of them are like, "I can't believe I just told you all that." <laughs> and I'm like, well, "That's fine. That's that was my goal." So you know, you're not alone out there.
0: You opened a door. Yeah, you opened a door. And the last thing that I want to talk about is the the ways that we get help, and and the variety of ways that we get help. The ver- like like that each story is completely unique. Each one of us finds our way. To well-being in different ways and that struggle is part of it and that like it's just like it's like depression isn't gonna go away I don't think the struggle really goes away it just gets easier
1: yeah I've got a I'm trying to think of the, the tagline that came to my mind when I was when I was riding it's um, our future depends on our ability to cope rather than our ability to plan Yes, and what's what I figured out is I wasn't being I couldn't plan things because I wasn't dealing with what I was my mental health struggles. So as soon as I started dealing with those, I started to be able to plan things. (laughs) And so if there's things you want to do, work on those things that will allow you to get to that point, so you can plan it.
0: So that you can plan that your future will come together because you got your present figured out (laughs) a little bit.
1: You know, ask somebody to help you. Yeah. If you have a close friend, they probably know you very well and they know your weaknesses, especially when you start talking about things you can't do. They'll probably tell you things that you have done mm-hmm. that are good. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when I first was having to release these books when they were coming out, I was kind of an emotional wreck. I couldn't even talk about it without getting all choked up because it was just for the first time I was actually sharing this stuff. So, one bit of advice I do have people that say, Well, I wanted to I wanna write a book. I go, Well let me tell you what can happen is if you've been bottled (laughs) up all your life and you decided to put it on Amazon into the world, it can be kind of an emotional roller coaster for you. So just kind of be aware of what might happen. Yeah. And so that's what happened to me, but now I'm doing okay.
0: Yay. Well, on that note, thank you so much for being on the Depression. Thanks, Laura. I want to mention again that if you found some of the content of today's episode triggering, please seek professional help and call 911 if you feel like hurting yourself or others. I'm not a licensed therapist and this show and the station are not endorsing any remedies or products. The purpose of this show is to destigmatize depression through storytelling. You can find a link to mental health services on downtownradio.org on the About KTDT page. Listen to the podcast, or if you're interested in being on the show, contact us at www.thedepressionsession.com. You've been listening to The Depression Session on downtown Radio Tucson with music by Septahelix. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at The Depression Session Podcast. Thank you.